Hello everyone, and welcome to the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I am your humble host, Bill, and with me today is a very special guest. You may know this person from uh, One Piece recaps on Twitter, or his recent uh, One Piece reviews that he's doing for Anime News Network. Or you may know him from his very good and excellent podcast, The Blade Looking Thieves. It's Grant. Hello, Grant. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bill. You're, you're really hyping me up here. The people are going to expect something of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one reason why I wanted you on the podcast is, uh, unlike the rest of my compatriots, uh, I am a One Piece super nerd. I see. And I needed... I needed to talk to somebody about One Piece, <laughs> and I and I knew from your Twitter feed and all the Robin retweets that uh, I found the right person. So. <laughs> yes, I I too have the compulsion known as talk about One Piece all the time, and it's never quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you again for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, whenever we have someone new on the podcast, we always like to ask them uh, what was their first anime uh, they they watched uh, growing up. So for you, sure. uh, what was your first anime? Well, uh, you know, uh, like many, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not of the, the ancient, ancient anime breed, uh, but I am uh, certainly an older fan now uh, in fandom. So I grew up in the shadow of the Cold War and VHS tapes and very low access to everything. Um, and I, the first anime that I really saw uh, that I knew was anime, right? Like, I mean, obviously we watched a lot of secondhand stuff and there was an inkling of it, right? You know, watching like, say I was obsessed with uh, G-Force and, and Speed Racer mm-hmm. and uh, Voltron and, you know, not really, of course, G-Force also Battle for the Planets and all that, but like, I, you know, like knowing that there's something different about these things and really loving them, but I, I didn't, they were just cartoons to me, right? Um, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't have enough knowledge or, or to, to know uh, that it was any different than anything else other than I was drawn to it. But I recall uh, one night at my dad's house, it was probably a, some some late night, some weekend over there at his house, I caught part of uh, this. Suddenly, this this cartoon comes across the screen, and it's you know this moody nighttime scene, and there's this guy in a wide brim black hat, and he's got this cool sword, and he's fighting monsters, and it's I've never seen anything like it before, even compared to these things that I was already quite familiar with, and I I was just enthralled. I was like, what am I watching? What's going on? And of course, I was forced to go to bed uh, soon after. But I scrambled through the TV guides the next day to try to figure out what it was <laughs> to discover it was Vampire Hunter D. And then, of course, th- you know, some late night showing, uh, probably on Sci-Fi, but God only knows. Uh, but through that, stumbling onto things like Saturday Anime, the anime section at my local Blockbuster, and we also had a movie gallery, and they had slightly different selections. And from there, you know, just spiraling further out into. Uh, this wide and weird uh, fandom. So definitely Vampire Hunter D was the first uh, time that I knew I was watching something that was very radically different from a lot of the, you know, cartoon stuff that I'd grown up on. Um, Mm. But from there, it was anything I could get my hands on, which, you know, now you have everything, but at the time it was a, it was a, a real struggle to find things 
a lot of stuff was secondhand. Um, so I guess there was a lot more local taste, so to speak. It was, you know, I lived near military bases. So some of my friends had older brothers who had recordings of stuff and like we would watch what they had and, you know, just random things. And it wasn't like, for example, I didn't see a Ghibli movie until I was, you know, in college. <laughs> but for other people, that's like foundational text type stuff. So that's, I guess that's the era right. I come from that was much more scattered. It was much more, um, uh, you know, if, if something was on TV, you caught it. You didn't even know what episode you were watching. You just jumped in with it, that kind of stuff. So that definitely informs my perspective quite a bit. Mm. Uh is that kind of the same uh, relation you had with, uh, I'm, I'll probably get the terminology wrong, so correct me if I am wrong, but um, kind of martial martial arts and uh, kind of Asian action cinema? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm also um, of, of an era where anime was part and parcel with uh, things that were different from what was being offered. And uh, so things like... Uh, Godzilla film, you know, kaiju films, uh, Daikaiju, Ega, uh, you know, your, your Godzillas, your Gamoras, um, also things like Kung Fu films and Wuxia films. Uh, these are things that I would watch on reruns or those were harder to find secondhand tapes of, but a lot of those were getting constantly in circulation. You know, you'd have like these marathons over the weekend and I'm, you know, that now that was even younger for me. I'm probably you know even six or seven years old i have very vivid memories of just like standing up on the couch watching godzilla and Angerus battle it out right with these other weird <laughs> monsters or or watching five deadly venoms and just being it didn't matter to me that the dubs were were just complete scattershot it didn't matter to me that the visual quality or was super low none of that mattered i was just like i'm super engaged with it so all of those fandoms I guess for my era, it's much more common. And in fact, it's reflected in our podcast, you know, with Blade Licking Thieves, that anime is a facet of these other things that I enjoy that are not the sort of standard American fair media. At least it wasn't at the time. It's much more common now, obviously. Um, but at the time, liking anime, liking Godzilla films, liking weird uh, niche horror films, liking wuxia films, all that stuff was in the... We were in the same kind of... You know, I don't want to act like, oh, we were bullied and outcast. Like, that's not really what it was. But it was a weird niche media kind of space. And there was a lot of crossover, too. Because, again, if you only liked anime, you would probably hit a limit of all the stuff you could watch. And so, if mm. you only... And if you only liked, you know, wuxia or kung fu films, there's probably a limit to what you could get your hands on. So, you would run out of stuff to watch. And you're always looking for that next exciting thing. Um, so, we we watch a lot of those things both singly and together. I guess that's another thing too, is the, the group watch experience going over to friends' houses to watch a new anime film that we'd rented or, you know, getting together at night and watching just Kung Fu flick marathons and just eating it up. So that's uh, all those fandom elements for me were always something I enjoyed personally, but also something that I enjoyed usually in group settings. So yeah, cause um I have to thank your podcast, uh, Play Looking Thieves, uh, for getting me into kind of the Chambara um, martial arts, yeah. uh, kung, f kung fu films. Okay. Uh, 
So <laughs> what have you checked out? I, uh, I'm curious. What have you checked out? I love it when people say that they watch something just because we watched it. Like I, I, I eat uh, that up. <laughs> so, so, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a relatively, I'm a newbie. That's so, okay. uh, so forgive my uh, lack of knowledge. That's okay. But, uh, we're all learning. <laughs> we're all on that journey. <laughs> but, uh, I, I guess, uh, my timing worked out really well. Cause, uh, I first got into it uh, via the police story movies, police story one excellent, and two. Excellent, excellent starts. <laughs> and uh, I, I picked up the Criterion set mm, that that's uh, that that's it's really good. Mm. Uh, yeah, police story. And some, I, of, I, some of Jackie Chan's great. I mean, and you can see, man, you see, you know, you see Jackie Chan is a, he made a, a, a quite a big splash here in the U.S. with a lot of you know Hollywood films, but man, there's a totally different energy. Mm. To the stuff that he's doing in Hong Kong, it's it's just it's oh it's night and day, and it's just the the difference in camera work mm-hmm. and stunt and uh, fight choreography mm-hmm. too, uh, which uh, part of that reason is because uh, Golden Harvest would allow Jackie Chan to spend all this camera footage and time mm-hmm. to get it exactly the way he wanted, whereas uh, if he was doing something like shanghai noon or the rush hour movies they're like chop chop we gotta go right. we gotta go there's schedules they have to uh, keep whereas you know the, <laughs> the work is almost i don't want to say secondary but it's you're beholden to all these schedules and committees and stuff like that but yeah you can see the difference in the final product i mean some of the polish in a visual sense might not be there in some i mean you might make that argument but man the quality difference in what you're actually seeing is just unreal it's so good I'm glad you checked yeah, out Police Story. I, Those are oh, that's a really good frame. That's a really good series. Yeah, and I I showed it to my brother, uh, and he loved it. Good, yeah. Hey, especially um, Police Story One. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, when he gets into something, he gets kind of a uh, focused and obsessed. <laughs> so he he he, uh, he picked up the Bruce Lee set that just got uh, released, and. And then uh, he's been going to secondhand stores and getting those. Yeah, good. You, see, like, mir- this is it. This is it. This is the putting on hands, right? The priesthood, right? I, I, I encourage you. You encourage someone else, and that's the beauty of it. That's how it spreads. I love it. And you know, it's a, it's amazing. This is one of those things that we joke about sometimes on the podcast because we always, we always say like, uh, you know, hey, welcome to our three nerdy guy podcast. Today we're reviewing The Godfather, right? Like we don't, we, we struggle to really bring. <laughs> the big heat sometimes because we're afraid it's it's too much for us to tackle but we've yet to do a bruce lee film and i think that's that's criminal but then at the same time Mm. i always go well of course everyone's seen a bruce lee film but you know these days probably not actually um and that's a real shame you know it's the same we went through it when we did the the terminator 2 pod for example we were like everyone the guys were like ah you know everybody's seen this film and i was like this film is like a hundred years old now. There's a, there are huge cohorts of people that have never laid eyes on this film. So right, like I'm I'm a bit uh, younger than you, mm. and I know I know Bruce Lee uh, through kind of cultural osmosis. Correct, right? And uh, um, but I had never seen any of his work mm. and, uh, until uh, just recently, and uh, there. To, to not go too far on, this, on a tangent, but uh, just uh, seeing his work, it just it shows kind of the difference in uh, in style and mm. his his take on uh, martial arts at the time. Uh, and I think uh, some of his films I I really love. Like I Enter the Dragon is very fun. Of course, and, yeah. 
uh, what's oh I'm blanking on his second movie. Uh, it's, it's not the big boss. Uh, Fist of Fury. Yeah, Fist I of love Fury's Fist of Fury. Fist of Fury was my was my favorite. Excellent film. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know you know Bruce Lee's the man, right? He's an icon. But if have you seen him? Like, have you seen the guy that's so fast they tell him to to slow down so they can catch it on film? I mean. <laughs> just i mean you know he's he's still in many ways looms over kind of the the you know he's that the, the echoes from bruce lee are still here and that's it's, but a lot of people haven't seen his films like you just know you're like ah you know it's just like you know arnold schwarzenegger ah he's like an old action star guy right like i you just know it but have you seen his work you know that kind of stuff it, it, it's interesting to see how these cultural touchstones like you know enter the dragon i probably watched that film 10 times before i was 10 it just was on, and if it was on, I would watch it, and other people would be like, "Hey, I'm putting on into the dragon." Like, okay, let's watch it. Like, it was just a, you know, it was just part of the lingua franca, right? But it, you hit this point, and then you realize, twenty years have passed, twenty five years have passed, and people don't watch those kind of, you know, they don't without some encouragement to kind of say like, you know, this is really good, this is worth. And I, I think personally, for me, that's also part of why I never. I never want to be the guy that's like, ah, the new stuff is no good. Ah, the kids don't know what they're missing. Because you you need to engage with what's current, in a sense. Mm-hmm. not And not just to, it's not a whole long conversion type thing. But, like, you know, what are people into? And it's still the same stuff we were into back in the, you know, like, it's the, it's the same heat, right? You feel that energy from something. And when you engage and you say, yes, this is good, this is quality, I like this. Hey, I think you should also check out, I know this thing is 20 years old or it's 30 years old or even it's 10 years old. Like, try it out. Give it a chance because it's the same heat. Like, it's that same energy. And you'll be really amazed at how good some of that old stuff is, too. this kind of divide between anime fans and kind of martial arts fans because you think uh in in your generation uh not to not to make you sound like an old man but in, <laughs> oh in i mean i am so, <laughs> like, like you're saying like it was more intertwined whereas now uh, they're kind of separated you know but even that you know that's it's all perspective i think because on the one hand that was definitely more common, right? Like we had Daryl Surratt from Anime World Owner, who's your listeners probably know better than me. You know, we had him on the pod one time, and we were having this conversation. It's the same thing. He, you know, he same wavelength. We were all into all this same stuff together. These were all interwoven. Like, of course, you watched anime. Of course, you watch martial arts. Of course, you watch kaiju films. But that was probably just the spaces we were in. Uh, you know, again, probably really, you know, dude heavy spaces that liked all that kind of stuff. Which not not to say that. You know, women and other folks would not also enjoy it, but those 
there were certain people driving certain conversations in our little bubbles, but there were a whole mm. other, you know, like there's whole other stretches of stuff that I had no access. Like no one I knew had Ronma one half or had ever seen Ronma one half. I knew it again through reading because you would get an anime magazine or you'd find an anime like a GeoCity site that was a shrine. You're like, oh, anime stuff. I gotta check it out. And you'd read episode. <laughs> I used to just pour over episode descriptions because I couldn't actually see stuff. And so I knew about some stuff secondhand, but. You know, Rama One Half or or Masani Koku and all you know all this stuff is like cultural touchstones to whole other groups that may not have also watched all those same things. Like they had a whole different these other little subcultures had their own set of foundational texts that may or may not have any overlap with mine. Right, so it it definitely was the bubbles I was in for one thing. I think the other thing too is that access we in in a lot of senses we won the access war at least here in the united states particularly right like although tokusatsu right. and, and and kung fu films and stuff are still we're still struggling in a lot of spaces there anime wise we've kind of won like we have simulcasting and cyberpumping and it's just it's everywhere man and you it's just all over the place so that's you know we don't get that limited stream of content anymore we don't get a couple of shows every year and you can pretty much, like, if you wanted to watch everything, you probably could. Now it's right. now it's just, like, everything. Like, 200 shows a year. Like, it's outrageous. Like, you can't even keep up with the things you want to keep up with, let alone all of it. So there's this huge volume of work. And, I mean, imagine, you, I mean, we're all keeping up with, what, one to five things at a time, maybe? And your friends are saying, hey, (laughs) maybe. And like friends like, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. And you got other stuff. You got jobs. You got responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. And we're all under the gun because, you know, world's just upside down. So like the the fear of having to learn this whole other set of tropes, this whole other set of expectations, it takes kind of some mental, it takes some some RAM. It takes some memory, right? To kind of, okay, I'm starting this whole new thing, right? It's so you have to enter these new spaces and there's less guidance. There's just less people out there that can be, can help guide you through martial arts and wuxia and, and uh, kaiju films and stuff. There's just not, it's there's even smaller niches within, but they have just as much like there's, there's, you know, hundreds of films and tons of all this stuff. And so you have less guidance. It's more content in a content saturated environment. How do you have time to get to it all? And if you say, hey, I'm going to check out some martial arts stuff and watch two movies, then you're going to feel like, oh, well, I didn't really watch enough and people are going to think I just gave up on it. You know, there's all those like social expectations about what you watch and what you read. So you don't want to be known as the person who watched three things and then just gave it up. Like nobody wants to feel that way, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's just an issue of like, there's just so much already. It's a whole other thing. Like I got to do this whole other set of things. And even, again, where do I start? For me, as someone who grew up watching these films and enjoying this stuff and just, you know, consuming it like wild, I know I can, you know, I've got six films in my back pocket. I can throw them right at you, easy to get to, whatever. But, like, where where do I start with this stuff? You know, there's so much. And you think, okay, well, uh, it's just so... And if you've only experienced, say... Uh, again if you you don't know what you don't know you don't know the difference in tone and execution that these films can have you think well there's i've seen action movies like what's another action movie right like who cares but you know until you see 
Jackie Chan in Police Story jump down like a seven-story fire pole, basically, and risk his life on camera. <laughs> like, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe he's still with us type thing. Or, you know, until you see the just the the impact something like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon can have visually and thematically and 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 in the choreography like you know you don't know what you don't know so i think it's that that huge just barrier of just getting started and getting into it and even knowing where to go um because there's just so much out there now there's a ton there's just too much yeah i think i think it's a mixture of of three things like you said just the 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 avalanche of content mm-hmm. that just comes at our faces mm-hmm. every single day we're just like okay just slow down just slow down i only have so much time in the day uh and i uh, like you said um where with whereas with anime we've had a cornucopia of access mm-hmm. with services like crunchyroll or retro crush mm-hmm. um martial arts and kung fu uh and uh uh, like sentai shows it's been kind of slowly eking out and it's been a much harder battle because mm-hmm. they've been stuck in like horrible contract contract yep. deals that are lasting till the end, end of time with like, <laughs> the, the whatever shell of, of miramax is is alive today or um saban with his Hor- the horrible contract mm-hmm. uh, he signed with Toei. <laughs> uh, well, good for him, bad for us, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's part of that's uh, part of the reason. And uh, until recently, uh, like Criterion has been, uh, I think, been pushing uh, slightly with uh, getting the police, the first two police story films out. I thought was was pretty big. Yeah, criteria. And, uh, I think that's also really helped too, in a, like kind of a legitimacy sense. Um, mm. And this is a weird, this is a weird space. You know, anime. I mean, you see it sometimes with people like, oh, I was bullied for liking anime or whatever, and whether that's true or not, or you know, people are just exaggerating. Who knows? But anime definitely is a. It's out. It it, it creates this sort of common language, and it creates this sort of little subculture where people are kind of exchanging and there's some there's also a more of a sense of like legitimacy in some ways because you can really i mean american animation has come leaps and bounds i mean truthfully the difference in some of the stuff that's going on right now compared to when i was growing up and the cartoons that we had to watch and the cartoons that i did watch tons of um you know a lot of that hanna-barbera stuff or uh, and what have (laughs) you but which no offense to that because i love some of that stuff too but the, the comparisons are a little less stark, I think. Um, but right. even still, there's some kind of, I guess, artistic legitimacy aura that anime has. Like, like well, anime is special, right? Like, there's that kind of feeling to it. I don't quite know if uh, kaiju films and martial arts films have really ever escaped uh, the, the sort of albatross of bad dubbing and low quality, these sort of stereotypes that also afflicted anime for a long time too like i mean look some of those early anime dubs were wild right uh, right like if you go back to like garzy's wing right or, or like uh or any the uh the original the dub for uh, i don't know if you've heard it uh there was a release for do you remember love on vhs and i have it and it's wow it is something <laughs> else uh right <laughs> like just incredible so you know i don't think martial arts films or kaiju films have really left 
some of that uh oh this is like corny cheesy poorly done like those stereotypes that are there whereas Mm -hmm. anime has gotten a little bit more kind of cultural coin in terms of like oh this is art the visuals are so expressive you have stuff like you know this this clear like visually it clearly knocks anything else out of the water so even if it's a little weird like there's a little more of a kind of like art sensibility to it right whether that's earned or not which i, I think it is largely but you know what i mean like it has that special sauce in it that oh comparatively nothing else has but these martial arts and kung fu you, know, you still see kind of like parody works and stuff where people are moving their mouths and they're doing bad dubbing on purpose and you know like kung pao or whatever like that kind of stuff like you or they're doing the bruce lee yells right uh, you you still see that kind of lampooning of these things as low quality and poorly done which i think is very unfair um mm. so i think it's it hasn't really broken away from that yet but things like the criterion collection with police story or dragon gate in or they just released the entire you know, the Showa collection for Godzilla and like the, and getting these films in their original Japanese, which you've never had before, you know, and like that, especially the, the Showa Godzilla one, because it was, I think it was, was it Criterion's? It was a big release for them, was it? It was their 1,000th release. Okay, I knew it was, I knew it was a nice, nice round number, <laughs> but that, you know, these are big releases and they're getting like really big showcases and it's, I think it's adding and you're seeing like with Shin Godzilla, we saw it a little bit too. We're getting a little bit more of that air of like, actually, um, this stuff is not always this quote unquote, you know, poor quality, you know, corny stuff. Like if there's, there's a, we're, we're starting to get a whiff of that legitimacy coming our way. And I don't know if that's translated out into the popular culture yet per se, but it's good to see those movements because that's part of it is you have to open people's eyes a little bit and be like, no, you need to, like, you need to pay attention. Um, and I think, too, even though anime also has this problem where people think it's just, like, action adventuring, you know, everyone thinks it's just Dragon Ball laser fighting or whatever, when we know it's a it's a medium that can tell a wide range of stories and have a wide range of thematics. And obviously, those of us who get into it, you start to realize, okay, yeah, it can do a whole lot of things. But there is a perception, because Kung Fu and Wuxia uh, particularly are about you are at least a lot of the films involve a lot of you know fighting they're action movies in that sense but when we think of action movies we think of they're supposed to be these kind of like roller coaster like experiences with explosions there's not a lot of thinking you're just kind of like woo you know it's it's the latest <laughs> marvel it's the 7th marvel movie this year or whatever right you just you hop in keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle here we go you know please exit right. to the gift shop like it's not really thought of as a um, people, I guess what people don't understand or they have been trained not to consider how fighting and how, how this sort of physical expression of conflict can be another form of storytelling, can be another form of character expression. And then on top of that, the heavier themes with, with tragedy and loyalty and filial piety and all these other elements that are in play, they don't, they don't come to it expecting something like, hero or house of flying daggers or crouching tiger hidden dragon like they don't or they don't think to meditate on these the other elements that are going on in these works it's just ah it's just like a dumb action movie right and then right either they're impressed just with the action and they don't they're sort of trained not to think much about the rest of the stuff because it's just filler or if the action isn't necessarily up to these like high level of you know the sort of the jackie chan hijinks and what have you uh then it must be bad because that's all it is is an action movie. Whereas something like say we reviewed 
one-armed swordsman uh, a few years back, and uh, at least I think so. Uh, <laughs> maybe it was just a year, but I think it was a few years back. Uh, and that is a film that doesn't necessarily have really high-quality uh, martial... Like, if you're there for the sort of display of the actor's martial prowess, you're probably going to leave disappointed, but I think it's a, it's a really critical work. Um, it's a foundational text in in these films and the thematics at play of the sort of futility of this whole martial lifestyle and how it all just kind of ends in tragedy and there's really no glory and it's all sort of it's almost kind of sad by the end uh and it's really brutal it's a very brutal world um that is really really important and the film is if you just go oh like this is like a martial arts film or something i'm just here to watch some fights you'll be disappointed and you'll miss out on the on how quality that film is and how it's really stood up, I think. So I think those are all. That's that also keys into like, as a as a culture, our media literacy isn't terrific, and we are keyed in to expect certain things and look for certain things. And not all of these films in these little subgenres uh, are tuned into those same expectations. They've got different expectations, different ways of communicating ideas, and all that. Right, and I think um, kind of like what you're saying is. Um, when it, we're, when it comes to media literacy, one thing people always look to is like a, a canon, mm-hmm. which has it has its own problems uh, uh, of like, what is canon? What is the best of the best? Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to martial arts in the United States, th- there's a few things that have kind of broken out into the mainstream, like you were saying, uh, whether that be like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which won a lot of critical acclaim when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it, there's not really a, the the canon for I would say martial arts uh, work here in the United in the United States for just the average Joe is is uh, rather small or right. or limited right and it's not that it's incorrect like they just go oh like Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee or Jet maybe Jet Li they might know right or mm-hmm. maybe some of them have some familiarity with like maybe the Raid or some of the Ong Bak films which are also and like those are all. Like, don't get me wrong, those are all great. But that's it. Like, you just have this surface level of, like, yeah, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, maybe, you know, take your pick on if they know anything else, you know, and they don't, that's it. Like, that's that's the extent of it. And that's, like you're saying, it's a shame because they don't have that, that groundwork laid. And I think on top of that, because so many people, it's a feedback loop, you know? I mean, like... Why do kids watch anime? Why do all of us watch? Like, because their friends are talking about it, right? Like, hey, right. You, I, they, they look at the numbers. Like, My Hero Academia is one of the biggest things on the planet, and if everybody's watching it and reading it, you're gonna watch it and reading. And it's a feedback loop. The more people that watch and read, the more people watch and read. Like, that's just how it goes. You want to be part of the conversation. You don't see that kind of energy right now for um, uh, these works that are uh, more typically culturally Chinese, right? You just don't see that energy there for it. It hasn't you know, broken out for, for whatever reason, for a lot of the reasons we're describing, but it, 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 there needs to be something with that kind of popular momentum, I think, to really maybe start opening up those doors. Right. Well, hopefully, um, at least uh, for me, I'm hoping that Criterion, with success of, of the Bruce Lee set and uh, Police Story, that they'll keep releasing uh, these type of films because uh, and give that genre... Uh, kind of the prestige <laughs> rub that Criterion seems to give yeah. <laughs> uh, 
to, 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 to just the general public. Yeah, that's my hope too. And I hope to see more uh, kind of popular breakthroughs in some ways. But it there's also, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers there too in terms of just, even in terms of culture. Like, for example, samurai are a certain, you know, it's a, that's a whole sticky situation about perceptions versus reality and all this kind of stuff. And But mm. most American moviegoers anime watchers you know young and old they know what a samurai is like they like oh that's a samurai like they that's a term that is not unfamiliar to them they understand like when someone's dressed like a samurai when they have the mempo or the big rectangular flag on the back right or the katana like all that stuff is is part of american culture now to some degree too it's it's part of our cultural lexicon like those are we know that stuff you don't have kind of an equivalent term or understanding of you know uh chinese history now you may in some gamer circles have stuff like dynasty warriors doing some of that work <laughs> right some of that right but it's probably the extent of it really like there's no equivalent whereas you can most average people are like oh yeah it's like a samurai thing right like in a lot of anime and manga and stuff it has at least you know some of that imagery or what have you so it's like oh yeah i know that already because there have, you know, the obsession with samurai and ninjas and all that has been part of American culture for at least 30 years now, right? Th wait, 2020? Mm -hmm. No, 40 years now at least, right? With the big boom in the 80s. So we're talking at least 40 years to get comfortable with, oh, that's a ninja. Oh, that's a samurai. Which are both borrowed words that we, you know, that but we don't have that equivalent sort of... Um, we don't have that equivalent uh, terminology or anything for... Chinese terms, Chinese history, or even, you know, there's Korean, there's, I mean, there's a whole body of work, even on our podcast, we try to be as broad as we can, but, like, there's just a ton of, like, terrific Korean gangster films and stuff out there, and, like, you don't, people just aren't, they don't talk about it unless they're in, like, really niche film circles, you just don't, they don't have the cultural coin that the Japanese media has. transition did you start the blade licking thieves podcast as kind of a response of like well we're not really seeing anybody talk about these films let's let's start a podcast and talk about it and maybe people will want to check it out uh it's kind of a it's actually a mix of things uh, so i guess the first thing is that the three of us have been friends for years um zen and i've been friends for at least 16 years now i guess and heat and i've known each other since middle school, so over 20 years now. Uh, so we're really longtime friends. We have basically grown up hanging out together, talking about stuff together, and acting up. Like that, our friendship has existed for longer than the show. And back in the uh, early 2000s, we all worked at a GameStop together. Um, and there were the, it was the three of us, but also a number of, basically everybody in that crew was all friends together. And we were all 
you know, just unbelievably single. So what would happen is you would go into work, you do whatever, you know, we'd clown around and, you know, you do the, 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 the returns and you do the, the, the game stuff that you work, you're doing your work stuff. But as soon as you clocked out, it really didn't matter what time it was. As soon as you clocked out, we headed over to a buddy's house where he was always running films. Like we were always watching stuff like verses and stuff like, um, uh, uh, or like, you know, like verses, or like uh, sleepaway camp, like you know, like slasher, like seventies <laughs> horror flicks and stuff. Just films right. were on, and we would get together on the couch and just, just you know, again as a group watch experience, we were cutting up, we were laughing, we were having pizza, we were just, and that's just what we did. That's how we spent our time. And then fast forward, you know, over ten years later, and we're all older now. We've we've moved away, but then bounced back to our hometown, and we're. Uh, all of us are into podcasts sort of individually and then we start hanging out again we're like hey let's get together like we used to in the old days and watch some movies together and we would get together and we would talk a lot and we would watch a movie and then afterwards we would go out to go get something to eat and we were talking about the film the whole time we were talking about oh this shot works and this that and preparing and then like and then i would you know the idea was like hey <laughs> we should just involve a microphone in this because we're basically <laughs> we're basically doing a podcast right now right um so that was that was the the kind of the first element. Our friendship existed. We talked about films anyway. Why not record it and see if other people dig that too? Um, in part, it, it, and also it has to go with influences. Like I really, there were some podcasts I really really like: Anime World Order, Anime Nostalgia, the Kaiju Cast. Like some really great podcasts that that talked about works. And I think the unifying thing was, hey, these these people seem like real and this is just something they do for fun like this is a, a fun way to express yourself in fandom that i hadn't really considered before like recording yourself talking about stuff that you enjoy like that's that's really cool i want to do that so that's part of it too being inspired by uh, other people who had already been uh paving the way in the fandom um mm -hmm. but then on top of that i i guess the the i don't want to say a reaction element number one i will say and i pushed for this heavy early on was i really felt like Usha and Kung Fu flicks needed to be like th that cinema needed to be represented in whatever we did because, and, and also kaiju films and stuff like that, because our fandom was not just anime. Like we liked all this stuff and a lot of these pods, these shows were really, really niche. And I was like, look, we like more stuff. Like we, you know, we just got done watching the raid. Like I want to talk about that. I don't want to not talk about it. Like, so <laughs> we pushed for a broader, I guess a broader purview for, Better or worse, we, we tried to widen it up a little bit. Um, well, I I, I kind of love uh, your story because that's exactly my story <laughs> of just uh, <laughs> of just my college friends and I. We would not stop talking about anime, mm -hmm. and we said, "Oh, we could just get a microphone in yeah. here <laughs> and <laughs> and re and record and make it a podcast and." Uh, even though we've kind of moved away and we're in different cities now, we keep we keep that going. And, That's great. That's and like great. and and like you, uh, it's all about your influences. Like I was really influenced by Anime World Order. Mm -hmm. I was really influenced by Ancast. Yeah, Ancast. Too. Was, yep, yep. Yeah, I was really influenced by Retronauts. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you know that uh, video game podcast. Yeah, I I don't listen to too much Retronauts. I listen to a lot of Talking Simpsons though, which is a lot of the same crew. So I uh, really like right. their work a lot. Yeah, um, so just 
just uh, those those type of works of just like you said, just uh, sounded like friends just getting together, yeah. and just having just a really engaging and interesting conversation. Absolutely, um, and I so like that was part of it too. And that's I think the thing I wouldn't say our pod is a reaction to anything per se. I will I guess I will say that we we tried to have a a broader purview of what we review because our interest is our interests right it wasn't just anime mm-hmm. it wasn't just kaiju or anything like that like it, it's a pretty broad net that we're casting and we knew that was a risk but we wanted to talk about it because we wanted to talk about it and uh hopefully that has borne fruit because i think one of the interesting things about what we have done is that we've We've been able to, because, you, you know, you get into these things where if you only talk about anime and you only watch anime and you only, or only read manga and only talk about manga, like, you end up being kind of almost insular. But there is a wider world out there that also influences these works. So it's pretty interesting right. to talk about, you know, Gam- the, the 90s Gamera, like the Heisei Gamera trilogy, which has Shinji Higuchi on it doing all these special effects work. But he's also the, he did a lot of work with storyboarding for Evangelion, and he's actually who Shinji Ikari is named after, you know, like you being able to draw those kinds of connections that other shows maybe not that they can't, but because, because it's a little more hyper-focused, there's, there's, you know, we, we have, a, I think more of a chance to see those connections that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. That's really nice. Um, and I think what's what hopefully what's borne out is the thing that it's, if we are a reaction to anything, it's not so much a, I wouldn't call it a reaction. It wasn't like, ah, people are doing it bad. Like, we got to do it good. You know, that that definitely was not the case. The, all the shows that I listened to, I listened to because I love them to death. Um, but in a sense, there was a reaction on, I guess, on one level. A lot of the shows that I listened to, you know, you have a, a review, quote unquote, right? And the review mm-hmm. is lots of pre-talk about... Have, you know if, if they've seen it or not or, or their experiences with it lots and lots and lots of production notes and like really really interesting stuff especially because a lot of the shows i listen to you know awo uh anime nostalgia kaiju cast these folks do conventions they get to meet creators talk to creators so they have a little and we're not really con goers much we don't have a lot of cons in our area it's kind of banjo country around here but also we just it's just not something we do that much so the fact that they can go to conventions or they're just more plugged into different parts of the fandom and it's also more their skill set that they have all this production history and background knowledge that's really, really engaging and interesting. And that's not my skill set, so I really appreciate it because I, I'm not full of all those factoids and I'm just like, oh, what? oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really cool. You know, so that's really great. But then, you know, that takes a lot of time to do all that stuff. And then by the end, the review is, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and it's, Hey, I liked it, didn't like it, this was dumb, this was cool. Maybe a joke or two, boom, we're done. And I was always kind of like, you know, we're, like, can we get a little bit more? Like, I'm really wanting to really talk about this work on, on a different level. Um, and that, again, that's not a criticism. It's just when you, when you have a strength and when it takes a lot of time to unfold all that stuff, the review, you know, you, you, it's almost, you run out of time. You know, you want to have a manageable episode length, which we've never had in our entire lives. <laughs> but, so I think the, the primary thing is that we tried to, uh, and again, it's not a reaction, but just we, we know for a fact our strength is not all those cool production trivia notes and all that stuff. Like, that's just not our thing, and it never will be. And we're, there's, a, there's definitely a school of thought where you try to act like you know all the things like you know all the right. like i've heard of that of course i know that like that's not us we've it's not us 
but we try to really, um, in our reviews, really, really unpack. I mean, I, I like to call them an autopsy, really. It's, it's very much a hot take type thing. We, we watch the film and we, we unpack it. But those unpacking sessions are 40 minutes to 90 minutes most episodes. Like, we really talk about a film. We talk about, like, you know, what's the cinema photography like in this film? What's the, what's the, the, the tonal, like the color tone in this film? What's the, you know, how are the performances? And, and do these thematic elements exist? Do they connect? Do they support? You know, we really try to get in there and, and talk about how, and does the film resonate? Like, do we feel it? Mm. How do it, does it may remind us of other works? And like, really, really try to unpack it as much as we can, not because we have the expertise. In fact, it's because we don't have the expertise. It gives us more time to really get in there and, and kind of wrestle with the work, right? To get in the pit with it. And so that is, I think, or at least I hope that is the legacy of the show mm. is to really just get in there with a work and like, really wrestle with it and talk about it because that's what we like to do and i feel like that is uh at least it's more authentic to how i feel you review a work not just you know and we never have done the the stars or the number you know that's 15 points out of 92 or what <laughs> you know three thumbs up to thumbs you know it, we, uh, we basically just do recommend not recommend which is you know basically thumbs up thumbs down siskel and ebert right. type system that's the, the most we'll do because you do have to say whether you enjoy something or not but um really try to engage with the work and and really have a good conversation about it if we can uh and even if i feel like even if we can't hopefully inspire others to also spend way too much time talking about this stuff because it's really fun actually (laughs) well as, as a listener i i enjoy your production notes uh section that you guys do because you don't just list the names off and then previous credits you kind of you try and give context to uh their strengths and a little bit of their history um like um just because it's in my mind um uh the when you did uh the hero episode with daryl um i was fascinated to learn just kind of the background about um miramax and the quentin tarantino present stuff Mm -hmm. and then um I'm just uh, and then the 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 stars and the people that worked uh, on that movie in more context to Jet Li and how he's not really the stoic action star he's mm-hmm. more comedic, uh, right. which is not how when I first hear of Jet Jet Li I think of the more stoic just like I'm gonna kick your I'm sure. gonna kick your ass sure sure uh, <laughs> so uh, I I love your production notes uh, section of the of the podcast well good I'm glad again uh, all the inf- hopefully it's useful because everything that we have is it, there's no special like I've never gotten to interview anybody right like it's not insider knowledge but we try to connect some dots and try to find the context that the film was made in. What was the, and this is another thing too, like what was the budget of the work? How did it, perf- mm. you know, and how does it compare to other work similarly, right? Like talking about, I mean, sometimes we talk about, of course, if somebody reviews Akira, they're going to talk about like, ah, oh, they made special paints and ah, oh, it was super expensive. Like, but you know what I mean? Like every work, I think you have to provide some context in terms of like, you know, what was the shooting time like? I mean, how many revisions did it go through? Just that kind of stuff to try to really get in and, and, and prep yourself for the film and, and talk about the work in its own context. Like, Hero is a great example, I think. Like, Zhang Yimou, it, his, it's a really great film, and it, but it has that, like, authoritarian bent right there at the end. And I think a right. lot, if you don't know the fact that, you know, 30, 40 years prior to that, he's getting in trouble with the Chinese government 
for uh, his films being a little too risque and he doesn't get to make films anymore for a while because of it. That's a different, that adds a, doesn't necesarily excuse what happens in the film if you don't like it, but it adds a different context to it. You might think, ah, oh, this guy's just really into this authoritarian stuff, but then you realize the, the stuff he was making when he was first starting out was ruffling too many feathers and they wouldn't let him make films for a while. That adds a different context to what he's doing in Hero, and I think that's really, really important to try to, to try to wrestle with it. it, it it informs the viewing of the work, and that's really, really important. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. The context, when is it made, and then how do you feel about it? Like, you know, uh, it's it, when I watched Vampire Hunter D, when I was like eight, it's it's different than if I were to watch it right now. Even though it's already something that I love, right. even, you know, it, the the third viewing, the fourth viewing. I mean, our own review of Akira uh, last year, maybe. Uh, was probably the one of the most important viewings of the film I've had. It was already a film I love, already a film I go to bat for, but watching it that time for the show, like, man, it hit. That's the best viewing I've had of it. And like talking about that, like being honest as a viewer, like who you are, you know, you never. There's the old expression: you can never step in the same river twice, right? Like it keeps flowing. Right. You as a viewer also change outside, even though the work may not. But like your understanding of the work or who you are as a person or what you've experienced or just watching a film like I, there is a definite impact and it probably bears out in the show where if I, you know, if it's my pick, I've watched the film before. I watch it again before the show and then I watch it with the guys, right? Like I have a different understanding than these guys who have this is their first time viewing it, right? Like even understanding that and having that kind of discourse about what you understand about a work and like, you know. Or, for example, when, the, you know, the table's flipped and I'm watching something for the first time that everyone else has seen a bunch, right? Like, that that dynamic, It's I think it's important to talk about that as reviewers, and I don't hear it talked about much. Like, you'll hear people say, oh, I love to watch this over and over and over again. But, like, do we ever really wrestle with the fact that, like, every viewing's a little different? Right? Or mm-hmm. it's different to watch something alone versus watch something in a room? Like, you know, we were... Right, because... The context of the of the viewing is important. Like, uh, let's say I'm I'm watching a movie and I had a really crappy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to affect how I view that movie. If, yeah. Compared to if I was in a much more upbeat, happy, positive mood, mm-hmm. or the same thing with um, like you were saying, like uh, watching Vampire Hunter D when you're young, it's going to be different from viewing that movie when you were like 10 to uh, when you're in your, when you're in your late twenties or early thirties or forties. Right. Uh, It's it's, it's different. And if you've seen it before, like even if it like the, the, you know, we all remember our first anime or our first long running series, you know, Oh, when this happened, like, you know, the, the way that you feel about Dragon Ball or one piece, somebody out there feels that way about like black clover or fairy tale. Right. right? Cause it was their first and, like, I think, as reviewers, I think we try to be honest about that on the show. Like, we really try to be. And I think that's important. I, I hope that that's something that's more common. I, I doubt that we'll ever influence a lot of people because, you know, like, we're, we're always going to be a small show. I, I don't think we ever set out to be the weird movie pod. But we do watch some pretty niche films that aren't uh, super common, right? Uh, but hopefully that encourages people to... And do that in their reviews too. That's my hope because that was one thing that I wasn't hearing enough of. I guess I'd say, or I would listen and be like, I want to, I want to hear like, and this is not like I want to hear me talk about it. It was a frustration like I want to hear you talk about it. Like I want to hear 
the reviewers and the shows that I love, who I love hearing talk about stuff, I want to hear you talk about this more. That's what I'm here for, you know? So that was a, a frustration that I was like, well, maybe we could do it. Like, maybe people would like that if we did it. Because I think there's an authenticity there um, that hopefully comes through. Like, again, we're not, we are not experts at all. And hopefully that also comes through that we're at least honest <laughs> about it because there are shows that claim to have expertise and by God, they've earned it. There's also shows that seem to have an expertise that maybe isn't earned, right? Like there's always that, that well, tug and pull, but hopefully. Well, I think, I, well, sorry. Oh, go sorry, right ahead. I'm talking a lot. Jump in with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, uh, I'm really engaged with what you're saying. Uh, so I don't, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think when it comes to the expertise thing, I think I think that's a it can be malleable, malleable in a, what is the exact expertise you have. Uh, like, for example, um, my friends on the podcast will view me as the One Piece expert mm-hmm. because I've watched it all. But compared to like um, the people on the One Piece podcast. I think they're more, uh, they probably have more expertise than I do because they have, uh, uh, because their retention level on certain aspects of the, of the franchise is much more knowledgeable than me. So Mm -hmm. level levels of expertise vary from person to person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just the goal or what should be the, the purpose of a reviewer is not to have an ego about it. Sure. And, uh, because if I have the air of, well, I think this work is trash. <laughs> I think you should throw away. It just, that just turns people off sure. and makes them not want to engage. Whereas if you're just, this is what I like about it. This is what I don't like about it. And you can take it however you want to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really that, important, that authenticity and not trying to, I don't know, hand you know, just because we have a pot, like, you know, there's this view that like, ah, I've got my little, my little hill and I will hand down decrees from on high, right? Or even just being <laughs> conflicted about a work, you know, I think when you have to put a number to it or put a grade to it, sometimes it's really hard to express, like, con- being just being conflicted. Like, you know, how do you say, wow, I liked like 90% of this, but there was one part that was really integral to it that I didn't like. And it kind of changes how I feel about everything else. So, like, I don't know. It's like, okay, a good example is um, the latest, the little Dragon Quest thing, your story, right? Mm. I watched that. I was eating it up, loving it. And then there's a part right near the end that happens. And I was like, and it's like critical. It's like this recontextualizes the whole film. And I was like, uh, huh. and it's right. not like the worst thing, but I was like, oh, so that's what this is. And then it ends. And it's, I mean, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. But I was like, I didn't want that and now we've done that Hmm. like so you know like how do you express i'm conflicted like how do you express 80 to 90 percent of this film is terrific but also there's this one part that's like the 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 sauce is too heavy right this one sprinkling of thing that just kind of ruins the flavor for other stuff but when i think about everything else like is that what is that a d is that a c you know it's hard to really quantify so i think having right we 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 just we just put grades or people want a number because it's easier to understand right and And i i i i think there's sorry i think there's i think there is a healthy element to trying to grade things sometimes and to rank things like i think part of part of the fun of that is acknowledging the struggle of it like it's really hard to do but i think it's Mm -hmm. hopefully our show and that's what we try to do is have a pretty authentic discussion about it 
and really it, that also takes time. So really dedicating that time and not being afraid to have a super long episode where we just ramble and talk and try to unpack a film because that it takes work. It takes time to do all that kind of stuff. And I understand why a lot of shows wouldn't do it because it's tough. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I loved your point on uh, dragon quest because I have a similar issue with uh, like the, the city hunter uh, franchise mm. i i'm a big lupin the third fan mm-hmm. and i heard oh if you like lupin or lupin uh you'll probably like city hunter and i love the character design i love the visuals i love that he's a detective but i hate every time when rio saiba is a perv and is pretty much doing something of uh sexual harassment would be thrown in jail aspect right. and that's that's a constant beat that happens in the show and those tonal shifts of him being really pervy to a woman and then being serious super serious detective really threw me off where after a couple episodes i couldn't keep watching the series even though every other aspect of that show i really enjoy mm-hmm. so, right um yeah because the and like you said, um, with uh, Dragon Quest, I don't think there is, like, this is completely bad or this is completely excellent. Like, there's levels of, of quality amongst each aspect of a production and of a work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, like, it's it's much, it takes more time, but discussing that and, like, really, like, I, this, is, this is how I'm feeling about this work and parts of it and all that and understanding that there's components to it and there's elements and, you know, being all, I think that's really, really important as a reviewer and can be hard sometimes uh, in the sort of when you're having to put grades to it and stuff, and especially in a more truncated format. Like the amount of words that we can spill in an hour, hour and a half unpacking a film is a lot. Like we can talk a long time. It can be harder to express that in just a tweet or even just a, a review column on a website, like, you know, 1,000, 2,000 words. Can you really get into the nuance, right? Like it's tough. It's tough. And I think the podcast format hopefully that is our strength i think is is the reviews that's my, that's my hope is that that's that and hope, hopefully that people also just enjoy listening to these three guys cut up and have fun um i i like i we we seem to have um i mean it's a it's it's a small number right we're not pulling in the big numbers we don't have all the endorsements but i'm very pleased that the people who are listening uh are not all exactly like us because we are you know, uh, three three dudes sitting on the couch talking about movies we like. There's a fear that it can become an echo chamber in a space that's just for us. But I, mm. thankfully, I have you know, and this is all anecdotal, of course. Maybe we've driven people away, and I pray that we haven't. But I, I hear from a lot of folks who aren't just like us and say we really enjoy the show. I really like the show. So I always like to joke that we are the the dream of the early two thousands web comic come alive, right? That it's <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of gamers on the couch or whatever. Like it feels like that sometimes. But I hope it's a welcoming show. Um, I really hate to give negative reviews, truthfully. I really don't like it. But And I hope that the show has a positive energy and has a encourages people while also being kind of authentic to how messy some of this stuff can be. Um, or even admitting our long, you know, long-running podcast uh, villain slash rival, Takashi Miike, uh, how much I'm, I'm so desperate to enjoy his work. But there's always something, and is it the screenplay? What, what's what's going on? You know, admitting that that even films are made by some level of committee, right? You have director, you have 
uh, you have the, the the screenwriter, you have the actors and actresses, you have the the composer, all and the editors, like all that stuff. A film is not the work of just one person, and like yeah. trying yeah. trying to grapple with, you know, not to say whose fault, but like maybe the reason I don't like this isn't because of just the director, right? That's where we tend to hyper focus. Oh, the director did this, or oh, it's this actor, or right? Actress. The auteur, the the auteur theory is is kind of very prevalent in people's yeah, minds. Yeah, it's very like... um in it. I think it limits the view of a work, uh, especially because like you can see and seeing how creative teams move around together or seeing what their work is like when they break up and go their separate ways and do separate solo projects. I think having that discussion is really critical and important too. Um, Mm. And provides for some interesting, I don't know, like John Woo is a, a, I love a lot of his work. John Woo is one of my favorite uh, directors Uh, watching him work with, you know, talking about sort of the connections with him you know, making films in China, then making films in America, then coming back and doing Red Cliff and, you know, working with Chow Yun-Fat again after this huge break. All that kind of stuff I think is really interesting and creates these interesting narratives that are fun to talk about. Oh, it's his, this first film, the last film. I love all that kind of stuff. And I think it's really, I, I hope other reviewers and stuff out there, if they, hopefully they take nothing else from our show, but hopefully they do see that and say, hey, that's, that's good. Because I also want to hear, not necessarily uh, the same opinions. I want to hear other people with different backgrounds and different experiences have those kind of long authentic discussions about work because they're going to see things that I just don't have the context for my own personal viewing, no matter how open I try to be, my lived experience is always going to be different from somebody else's. And Mm -hmm. I want to hear what you like. I want to hear what somebody else thinks who has a life totally different from mine. Who's had experiences totally different from mine, you know, that kind of stuff. Like I, I want to hear that because I'm, I find it just completely fascinating what people take away from a work or what someone see, you know, I mean, I'm sitting there with the guys, we're watching these films, uh, you know, I'm, well, when, when we were in the same room together before all this broke out, you know, two feet away from them on the couch. And it's like, we're seeing a different film. Sometimes I find that really fascinating and riveting. And then, but we are also relatively similar in age demographics. Like what's it like for somebody else? Who's, you know, 20 years younger than us or something, or who's, you know, a, a woman or, or someone who's LGBTQ plus, like, how does it affect them? Like, I, I, want, I want to know, because I think it's really interesting and really fascinating. other question about the podcast is how do you pick a work to review well so this is another interesting thing uh we uh instilled early on this was part uh of i don't know if i call it the genius but there's three of us so we rotate picks which i think awo does that as well um if memory serves uh so we rotate picks and then we've also included it's it seems to be fun for people when we do other stuff so we've included a what we call a community pick in the rotation where we let the community vote we're also doing a thing right now uh to let people who have contributed to various causes in the fight for justice to do kind of a raffle pick thing so the community's picking the next few episodes for us but the main thing is that we wanted there to be some uh some road we didn't want to have to vote on episodes it was just like look if it's heat's pick it's a simple rotation. It goes heat, it goes me, it goes zen, and then community pick, rotate. That's the standard rotation now. Um, and the really nice thing about that is that 
you can subject your friends to works they otherwise would not agree to. (laughs) (laughs) When I I famously destroyed the podcast by uh, forcing them to sit down and watch Redcliffe Parts 1 and 2, because it was my pick and we were going to watch both of them, which is like five hours of film. (laughs) So we did a whole pre-discussion. We watched, you know, two, two and a half hour movies, and then we had a whole long discussion, and we answered Twitter quite Like, that was a long night, let me tell you. And they normally would not have agreed, but they couldn't say no because it was my pick, darn it. <laughs> so, that's, that's the fun. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and part of that, I'm not going to lie, that was a long-term goal. Red Cliff is a film that I like a lot uh, already, and I knew going into the pod, I was like, is there a way I can force other people to watch Red Cliff with me? Because it's too long. My wife doesn't want to watch it. And she doesn't necessarily enjoy, you know, riveting fourth century uh, China, right? Like it's not necessarily top of her like list. And she's like, you know, watch five hours of this. Like that's not going to happen, champ. Like, and I don't blame her. It's hard to make anybody watch five hours of anything. But I was like, right. maybe if I can get the pod to work like this down the road. <laughs> I can't sneak it in. That was a long-term goal achieved. Um, but that's the, that's the, we have a simple rotation and we, we typically float like, uh, like, okay, for example, we just recorded Heat's episode. It's about to be mine. Or we just recorded mine. It's about to be Zen's. I'm like, ah, okay, we're going to float. Like, I'm kind of thinking maybe this or this, like we float a couple of movies, just kind of like, this is the vibe I'm in. And we have a quick discussion just because it's helpful to sometimes have, Ooh, ooh, yeah, we should do that, or ooh, maybe we don't want to touch that because it's really similar to this other work we did, or sometimes it's like, ugh, this has some kind of ickier stuff in it, maybe we don't want to have to talk about it on the show, like, uh, you know, like, for example, mm-hmm. Writing Bean has come up a couple times, which is an OVA that I have a lot of fondness yeah. for, but if you've seen Writing Bean, it's really, really short, it's, I mean, it would be, yeah. it would be a third of the length of the podcast, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the, there's a, there's a particular scene in it that is like, it is a lot it is a it's and like i'm like really hesitant to review it because it's like that means we have to talk about this like you can't just ignore it right so right maybe like i'm just really not in the mood to talk about that in two weeks not that not like that it's illegal to watch a film or about it or like ah how could we ever talk about it you know but like you have to wrestle with it and it's like man i don't know if i'm really ready to wrestle with that can you pick something else right like so that, that we have that little discussion um sometimes uh but it's usually we 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 like to give each other heads up on the show and except for zen who picks his on the drive over i think um we (laughs) we have to give each other a little heads up but it's a pretty you know if 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 you really come in and say i'm i want us to watch this we all have pretty similar tastes we all know what's kind of like you know what what's fair game for the show like we don't shy away from explicit content but we're also not like we're not trying to do like shock jock stuff. We're like this week we're watching, you know, just grindhouse type stuff. That's just, you know, offensive to everybody. You know, we're not trying to be offensive or anything, but sometimes we do pick films that are, we know, we kind of know the playing field, right? It's like, do do you want to sit down on the couch with the guys and watch it (laughs) and then have to talk about it? Cause you're going to have to talk about it. There's no like, that was a lot. You know, good night, everybody. (laughs) Uh, But I definitely also do a lot of, uh, in terms of my own selection, I don't know about the guys. I, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of what I just described, where it's just I want to force other people to watch this with me and talk about it, and they have to. Uh, part of it is I, I search through my physical media library, like I just look over the shelf and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to get that. But I also spend a lot of time going, ooh, that would be a good review, and like you know, picking up new stuff for the show. But of course, the way the rotations go, 
you know, you're only getting three to five views in a year, really. Um, so it's sort of silly to add new things to the list, but you know, you can't help it. Um, and it very occasionally we'll do a special episode for something that's like hot off the presses. Like, you know, we went out and watched the 2017 ghost in the shell together, or we went and watched the Broly movie together when that was in theaters. Like, you know, so every now and then we do something that's like, you know, striking while the iron's still hot, just because, you know, it's, it seems like a fun thing to do, but we're not really the keeping like we're, we're not an up-to-date pod we are not like on the cutting edge like get <laughs> oh uh, ne- neither is ours uh, <laughs> i i, I you, you might laugh at this but for for me for our podcast I, I love the podcast because it pushes me to get either through my backlog or it pushes me to explore things that i haven't explored yet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and it, it, the podcast gives me the excuse of like, well, I haven't finished Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 2, but now since we're doing a podcast episode on it, um, which I hope to do in the near future, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's going to that's gonna get me to, to get through it and finally finish mm-hmm, uh, Season mm-hmm. 2. So I definitely do that a little bit too. I mean, uh, again, not to t- keep talking about the Redcliffe pod, but part of... I really enjoyed that film, but I had never, I had tried and failed to read Romance of the Three Kingdoms a number of times in the past, but I was like, no, I need to at least have read this once to try to give myself some context for this next viewing and hopefully help everybody else out too. So that was also kind of a life goal check off. Like I've read one of the four great Chinese novels. Like that's like, and I did that just for the pod, right? And I think it helped immensely for my viewing and for everybody else's being able to provide at least, I mean, not all the context. I'm not a scholar. I'd only read it once, but having wrestled with it and really by the end, like really, really enjoying it um, and seeing why it's, you know, it's a cultural phenomenon for thousands of years. Uh, so I, that, that was really important too, is using, I, I agree, using that, using the pod as an excuse to push yourself to do things and get things accomplished and check those off your list. That's, that's, I definitely do that too. We've gone on for a while, but I need to talk about One Piece, or else, or else, uh, Austin, uh, my edit, my editor and usual co-host will be like, "But Bill, you barely talked about anime. You talked about all these martial arts movies." <laughs> the Trojan horse of One Piece. Ah, surprise! It's all Wuxia and Kaiju flicks in there. <laughs> so, what got you started on? Uh, one piece because for a lot of people they see either the number of chapters they have to get through or the number of episodes they have to get through and they're just like i don't have time for that i'm just too intimidated by the sheer size of it uh no thank you (laughs) uh sorry i I missed the first part of that was it how to get into or how did i get into? how did you get into? okay 
Well, um, I mean, there's the old saying, uh, no zealot like a convert, right? Uh, because for a long time, I was exactly that person. I did not... One Piece was just this thing. It was the it was the stereotypical long anime, right? Uh, and for probably the... For myself, I took about... I probably took about a decade off of anime fandom uh, somewhere in the mid to late 2000s. I do distinctly recall it being around whenever Haruhi Suzumiya was a thing. I was just <laughs> like... I, I, I began... You know, as Access expanded, I began to feel like, well, maybe this stuff isn't what it was when I was growing up, right? I went through that sort of bitter phase and I, I went away for a while. Um, and so I missed a lot of the probably early overtures of One Piece. Not that it was a huge, huge hit over here, but a lot of the stuff like the four kids airing and all that kind of stuff. I just totally missed it. I totally skipped Naruto and stuff. I was still fatigued from Dragon Ball. Um, having finished that and watched it multiple times, I was like, I just can't do this again. It's all just the same fighty stuff. That's what I told myself. Um, and then even as I returned to fandom... You know, One Piece was just so long. There was so much of it. How? There's no way it isn't all just filler. Like, there's, it's just going to be, you know, we got to find another weirdo this week or whatever. And then I didn't like Oda's art style. I would look at the characters and I was like, oh my god, they all look like Muppets. I don't want anything to mm-hmm. do with that. I think I think on our podcast I have said as much on air, uh, only further reddening my clown nose. Uh, but what got me into it was my Twitter habits. Uh, I, uh, in about somewhere in 2017 or in and around that, I decided, Hey, I think I'm ready. You know, I'd reentered fandom, you know, was, was hanging out with people, you know, talking about anime and stuff, having fun. And I was like, you know what? I want to try a longer shonen again. So, uh, some close friends recommended me to watch, uh, Gintama, which, uh, what, and I did a th- I did a thread for it because I had seen people do live tweeting a lot at the time and it, people would just they were tweeting with a hashtag and it would just be like like a person would tweet about it and then later they would tweet something else about it and I was like okay I guess they're watching something right now but I'm not watching that so I don't know how these I don't really know what this these events are in reference to like it would be like wrestling or something uh, mm-hmm. and then I had some other friends who were doing I had a buddy uh, Yagshi uh, who was doing a uh, 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 detective Conan thread. And he was doing like multiple tweets per episode, lots and lots of pictures, lots and lots. Of, and I was like, and it was it was in a thread form. And I was like, that's a really interesting way to talk about a work on Twitter. But I was like, man, that is so much work to do like multiple tweets per. I was like, what if I just did a longer show and did like one tweet per episode or something, right? Like that that seems pretty manageable. And did a little hashtag just so I could keep it together. So I did the the first time I did that was with Gintama. Uh, and I love Gintama. Gintama is a top five work for me now. Um, and in many ways is still, in my opinion, at least from my experience, better than One Piece. Like, I, I prefer it. It's a real close run thing, and One Piece may eventually overtake it. But Gintama being a complete work, you know, something I can look back on. Uh, and also being somewhat shorter, I guess. Uh, but I really, really love Gintama. Uh, and that was a really great experience. And in doing that thread... Not only did I have a lot of fun with my friends that I already had, but I connected with a lot of new people that I didn't know before, and my thread became like a thing people would like, you know, they expected me to watch an episode every day, and they expected me to tweet about it every day, so they'd show up and we'd talk about it. And it was like, this is really fun. It's almost like a little book club for a show. I was like, this is a really fun format, and I didn't anticipate it being this much fun. So I said, okay, I tackled Gintama, which I did the anime, and it's like 300-ish episodes. It was like three... 320 or 330 or something by the time I was done. And I did it in a year, um, trying to stick to one episode per day. 
and that was like my goal. I was like, by the end of 2017, I'm going to be caught up. And by early 2018, I, I was with, and I was watching the new stuff with everybody else. And it was really, really great. It was a great experience. And I was like, I want to do this again. This was really, really fun. So I asked everybody, what should I watch? And one piece came up and I was like, you know what? Let's try it. Right. And, and therefore you sort of know the story from here. I was like, I'm just going to do the same thing I did with Gintama. I'm going right. to do one tweet. For, I'm just going to read the manga because I don't want to watch all the episodes. I was like, I'm going to read the manga. Because I also, there was another element of me wanting to do a manga specifically. Because mm. my manga reading is really not, that's never been a huge part of my fandom. I mean, now, people know, oh, you're the One Piece manga panel breakdown guy, right? Like, that's a, a thing I'm known for, which is weird. Uh, in, in now, in retrospect. And this was early 2018, but I was like, I want to read more manga. So I'm going to do this, the manga specifically. Um, and the, the other happy accident, I think, was I was still planning on doing one, if you go back to those early tweets, I was just going to do one tweet per, ep, per chapter and talk about it, like I had talked about with Gintama, trying to replicate some of the discussion and stuff that I was having on Blade Leaking Thieves, not just, it's awesome or it's bad, but like try to talk about the thematic elements that I liked or the characters that I liked or the interesting writing or what, you know, trying to have a, as much interesting discussion as you can in a single tweet. But I found myself later that day, I was just, I couldn't stop thinking about that first big punch where Luffy's punching that big like sea monster in the cheek, and his big puffy cheek mm. and all that stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> I, I tweeted, about, I was like, this, I just keep thinking about this. It's so good. And here's all the reasons why I think it's so good. And people really responded to it. And like, you know, it got a couple hundred likes and retweets and people were like, wow, this is a really great breakdown. And I was like, people really seem to like it when I talk about this. And I'm, I am not an artist. I don't have any training or any skill in in talking about visuals or what it takes to draw something, but people seem to really resonate with how I talked about the visuals. So I kind of put it under that tweet, and I was like, what if I made this a thing? Like, I was like, people seem to respond to that. And, of course, this is back when I had seven or 800 followers, and I, you know, the, back in 2018, and I was like, people, it got a lot of likes and a lot of attention. I was like, what if I did not just how a tweet about how I feel about it and the thematics I like, but what if I like picked a panel or a page or something and like talked about that too? And I mean, the rest is kind of history from there. So I, I very much stumbled into one piece and stumbled into community. And I think that's a really important thing too, is that my one piece experience, like many other things that I love in my life, my one piece experience is inherently communal. I didn't do it by myself. It wasn't just me staring down the barrel of 900 chapters. It wasn't just me versus <laughs> the backlog. And I had right. a schedule. Every weekday, I'm posting a chapter. And eventually got up to two chapters a day. But I, every, every day, I'm talking about it. And talking about it in that public way and trying to break down and trying to have a conversation about it attracted other like-minded people quite rapidly and like to have a conversation about it and I don't and I, I will continue to say it because I feel like it's the truth that I don't think I necessarily have some divine insight or some uh, masterful command of, of, of art or anything like that I don't have those qualities but I do think that the popularity of that thread and my discussion of it shows that there was on some level a hunger for that kind of discussion right what i'm talking about the having like talking about things like framing talking about things like paneling talking about how you how you create pacing or tone in a comic right in in sequential art 
Uh, not that it's never been talked about before, and not that I have any particular skill in talking about it, but that people wanted to see that discussion about a popular thing that they liked. Like One Piece is one of the definitive pop culture elements of the planet, right? Like it is, <laughs> like One Piece is beloved worldwide. It is the de facto popular thing. Like, ah, oh, One Piece. Like it's like, ah, oh, Batman. Like, of course you like Batman, right? Batman, Batman everywhere. You can get Batman underwear, right? But like One Piece is a huge thing. And so having someone try to engage on that level with it, try to talk about and try as best they could, because I, I gave it my best every day, try to break it down and talk about why something worked or why something resonated or try to, to pick out not, you know, I think this is another kind of side discussion. I think when people talk about critical analysis of work in fandom, most often what that is, is like Easter eggs or like mm. secret meanings. You didn't know top 10 things you didn't know about whatever. Right. Which is to me, not, not, I mean, there's nothing, there's no inauthentic discourse, I guess. Like if that's what you're interested in, that's great. Uh, or also just, it's just kind of, I don't want to call it reading 101, but this is, this is literally trying to approach it from a kind of a literary an, uh, analysis standpoint, like trying to use some of those analytical tools and those hermeneutics, which include things like, which, you know, a lot of anime and manga fans tend to be younger. They may not have had mm -hmm. opportunities to have those kind of discussions, or maybe they have in a setting like in school or something, but who wants to talk about a tale of two cities like that? Like none of us care, right? Like. It's Shakespeare. Right. I can't even read this. But talk about something you like, like how engaging and exciting it is to have those kind of authentic discussions about One Piece. Like this is something that I like and I look forward to reading. And ooh, I want to talk about it too. Right? There's an energy there that I don't think there is when these these exact same tools that I'm using, which are not like it's nothing new. It's just literary analysis, but are not often applied to popular works like that. Um, yeah, and not not in a yes. public format. Yeah, where it's maybe a popular work will be examined within academia or maybe uh recently kind of with the rise of the kind of the youtube essayist right type format like i think that's kind of a relatively new thing of just let's look at a popular work from a critical point of view and not saying that that's like a something completely new but in a in kind of the popular culture sure uh, yeah the the, the essay is kind of, is kind more of a traction. thing and, and i uh, I mean, we're all aware of like the cinema sin style approach, right? Which is just like the hundred things wrong with whatever, like which is right. Again, if you want to, I'm I'm glad that people out there exist that are paying attention on on a certain level and finding things that are continuity errors and stuff. I don't have a mind for that, and I really don't have the energy for it either. Um, and that kind of snippiness, right? But also just like, and again, I try to do it's the same thing that I was doing on the podcast. Try to authentically engage. Sometimes I'm just like whoa that's a really cool punch i like when luffy punches that guy it's really cool like having just kind of that same authentic energy for it that's really really great and exciting um and you you want to hear people enjoy a thing you enjoy like that's actually lots of fun it turns out um so i think all those elements kind of created this perfect storm and a lot of people being open to engaging with others i think that's the other element uh, you know your youtube a youtube video or a uh, an article on, on, on say, ANN or Crunchyroll, it's hard to have a real authentic, like, live engagement with the person talking about it. Who's Right, running... there's some separation. Yeah, like, even if it's, even if they do respond to you in the comments or whatever, there's going to be a couple hours, a couple days delay. You can't have a huge conversation, and two or three days later, who even remembers what we were talking about, right? But, like, <laughs> you can, like, in real time, I was literally, like, I would make a dumb, like, One Piece joke tweet. It was, like, me ringing the dinner bell, like, come on, y'all, we're, we're gathering around for the One Piece reading today. 
Uh, <laughs> so that kind of perfect storm of using a public social media element to keep it short, but also try to have some engaging discussion and really talk about, you know, the cinematic language, if you will, of of the medium and how that, you know, even down to things like this is really cool lettering on this sound effect or like it's really interesting that they, you know, Oda chose to do a splash page here or you know, that kind of stuff that I don't think I'm not the first person to ever talk about comics that way. Clearly think people think and talk about comics that way because comics exist. Right. Um, but I don't think people realize not only that you could do that, especially with popular works, and it can really enhance your enjoyment of a work, even if you've already read it, but also just how much fun it is. Like, it's really, really fun to engage with a work like that. And that energy fed back to me because I was having fun. I looked forward not just to reading it, but to talking about it with a few thousand of my closest friends every single day, right? Like, that is really exciting and fun for me as the reader. And I never really felt bogged down by the work. It, it never, mm. the length of it was exciting because there was always more, not anymore, but there was always more to look forward to because I was going to talk about it with my friends every day. Like that's and, really cool. And it's an onion layer where you're just not looking at the surface level of just like, ooh, cool fight. You're looking, you're cutting deeper and deeper into the onion of just kind of looking at the the contexture of the of Oda's drawing of the mm -hmm. lettering of the the deeper emotional uh context that is within one piece especially when it gets to its flashbacks mm -hmm. um and um i think um with for one piece even though it's supposed to be a uh shonen series it does have uh, depth to it which makes it easier to do uh critical analysis mm, absolutely and I, I totally agree you need a work that that is that has a solid enough footing and has a solid enough foundation to support that kind of analysis um you know for example i don't want to get you know dragged in the mud or anything but like a lot of people when you think about critical analysis of anime inevitably something like neon genesis evangelion comes up because right. that's is is that not the er example of I am a smart person I have smart things to say about anime let's talk about Evangelion right like that's just where people go and there's an there's an element there where um, I f again that that feeds into a lot of this like look at all the hidden meanings look at all this stuff from the Kabbalah look at all this stuff from the Apocrypha and like I, personally I don't the, the the I do feel like even even though I have my issues with Evangelion I feel like it's a strong work. I feel like it's tokusatsu elements, particularly it's, it's emotional dimensions are, or in its cinematic language is much more interesting to me than its religious symbolism. Like almost, I would say probably nine times out of 10 when I was encountering somebody talking about Evangelion, they were talking about the religious symbolism and all the depth that it had. And I was like, that's right. the, not only is it just kind of all over the place. It's like, wouldn't it just be cool if these aliens shot laser crosses? Like it's clearly the <laughs> impetus here. Like, there are interesting right. things to talk about this work, but it's like you got to talk about the like the filmic language. Like you want to talk about the cinematography. You want to talk about right. these character depths and like that. And I think some of the emotional stuff was there, but like even just talking about the cinematic language of Evangelion and like Ano's impact and his eye for that is really really keen. Um, yeah, like that's that's for me. I'm I'm in the exact same wavelength with you of just like I don't care about the religious symbolism. I don't really care about kind of the 
the general context of like what is the in what is the third impact and what are exactly are the angels i kind of like the more deeper kind of symbolism and uh context to the emotional depth of those characters sure yeah the emotional depth. Well, it? it's who, the, who cares tokusatsu kind of yeah like who cares what the third impact really is the, what does it mean for these characters that's a really interesting discussion right or and that's the other thing that really this I, is just kind of one again tokusatsu is a thing that's in my wheelhouse like everyone's like ah evangelion famed mecha anime and i'm always like this isn't this is ultraman fan fiction people this is ultraman like <laughs> open your eyes like and so being frustrated with the discussions that are there but having the discussion that the work can support that's really critical like evangelion if you're having if you want to have the religious religious symbolism and connection discussion that's fine personally as for me as an audience member i don't think the work supports that discussion very well there's not much there but one piece is a really uh uh, a really fascinating work because of the fact that it can support so many different kinds of discussion like that. It can support geopolitical discussion. It can support emotional discussion. It can support plotting discussion and connections, right? You know, your Laboon to Brooks and the setups and stuff. It can support discussion right. of its comedic timing and comedic language. It can support the discussion about the fidelity of its fight choreography and the amazing artwork on display and the varied tone. Like there's so much Oda has put so much of himself into this work. I mean, he truly has given his life to make this thing and it shows. And yes, it is for all audiences in many ways, but there's a lot of places to hang your hat and have really interesting discussions. So that's critical too. It's not just having that discussion, but having that discussion about a work that can support it long term. And one piece can, um and does i think it still continues to wow and amaze with what oda does and you know just all of it i, I really i'm really impressed by this i mean obviously nothing is perfect but the just right the vastness of one piece is its strength you can have all those discussions you can have those kinds of um uh, discourses about it and it's all really rewarding and fun and exciting and I tried to touch on as much of it as I could but even then even the even your folks that have the strengths I don't right the production history and the the fun easter eggs folks that that like that like Joey Weiser from uh, One Piece podcast he's always he's also really into uh, uh, film Japanese film in particular the you know he and the gang over at Toho Yaha are, are great I love being on their show too um, but he's like really into like, you know, like seventies Yakuza movies and stuff that like, I don't have the context for that, but like, he's showing me like, Hey, you know, when Oda designed the generals or the admirals uh, rather, Oh, one piece card revoked right now. Uh, when he just designing the admirals, <laughs> he's basing them off these, you know, these, uh, classic seventies and eighties Yakuza actors. Like they look, they're spitting image of these guys. I'm like, ah, oh, that's really cool. I had no idea, you know, and that's really exciting and fun to learn about. Um, and on top of that, I think further reinforces the thing I was talking about earlier, where this work is not just an anime slash manga thing. Oda is influenced by so many other outside media sources. I don't know where he finds the time for it, but he's clearly also been influenced by movies and comics and books and like all sorts of stuff. Like it's, it's there, it's right. right there in the work. And that's really exciting and fun to talk about those connections and how they influence a creator. I think it's really, really interesting.
now that you're kind of up to date and you're also doing uh, the episode reviews for Anime News Network, uh, is it weird to feel like you're kind of up, up to date? Uh, because for me, the one frustrating thing about One Piece fandom, and maybe this is just in my own circles, I, I don't understand why people are like, well, why can't it be over? Why can't it be done? It's like, but I, I want him to take his time. Right. I don't really care. How, I, I don't really care how long it takes. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the fun part is the journey, not the destination. Because whatever idea you have of whatever One Piece is, it's not going to live up to your expectations at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, I don't know. The, the urge for it to be done, uh, it's certainly, I mean, it's long. <laughs> you know, I, on some level, I get it. Like, you know, you don't want to be the person that, like, I only read the first 23 years of One Piece. You know what I mean? Like, you do want it to end. Like, you don't want to fall off it. So you'd like for it to end and for there to be some closure and for there to be payoff. And I, I think when it happens, none of us are going to be ready for it. But I, I do get the the urge and the desire for it to, like, be done and, like, be finished. Like, I, I understand that. I mean, you do, at some point, want to move on. Um, but at the same time, I don't think any of us are... Like, I certainly had uh, a lot of emotions about it when I... Just getting caught up to everyone else. Not being... Not doing One Piece every day, even though I still talk about One Piece every day. Um or even like watching those uh, the the uh, hungry days bump of chicken like that those like cup noodle advertisements yeah. and stuff they're just it's just selling cup noodles but like oh my gosh watching those it felt like a glimpse into the emotional roller coaster it's going to be when one piece finally does end and I'm like I'm not ready for it like I'm seriously not ready for what all that's going to entail uh, so I'm with you I'm like please Oda take your time go go right ahead man do you think <laughs> you know um, and well, I think that also people uh, whether in fandom or not really undervalue or sometimes maybe some people overvalue it but most people I think are very unaware of or undervalue Oda's immense uh, ability to think ahead to plan ahead to play to you know to, to really put the seeds in place and to w let them grow and take their time uh, to, right. to set up to do a setup that literally takes 10 years of publishing to pay off right like that takes a lot of forward thinking especially with how much he's got going on in the world but i think it also takes a lot of patience on the part of, an, of a creator like i know like when i start thinking about a story i want to write or, you know, a tale that I want to tell, right? Or when I'm running a, a role-playing game, when I think about an arc that I want to do, like when I think about I'm going to run the players through this, I start thinking about the cool stuff I want them to get to, and I can't wait to get them to it. I can't wait. I don't want them to do all the stuff I know I need. I, oh, I got to establish the world and set up the characters and do all Like, I want them to get to the cool stuff. I'm ready for the payoff, right? <laughs> like, there's that, that urge, right. that rush. But he, I don't know how he does it, but he has the ability to restrain himself and wait for those payoffs to the point where the audience is just like please show up you know they they or they've forgotten about it entirely and i think that's a really impressive skill on top of all of his other many talents uh in telling this work i really feel like one piece is a a work that is very unique like i don't think we're going to see anything else like it in our time 
like just the nature of yeah, its publication, just the, the the quality of it. I don't I don't think we're gonna see much else like it for a while. And also just just the sheer scale mm-hmm. of the world and just the intricacies of just all the factions and characters and there's not there's and mysteries like there's there's more mysteries than just what one piece is it's like well what are the real leaders of the world government because the nine old men like bow to this mysterious figure that we don't know who it is or Mm -hmm. uh what who is dr vegapunk we have never met dr vegapunk what happened in Um, the void century what's up with the poneglyphs all that stuff right right it's and that's another thing too it definitely pulls on i have a background with a lot of warhammer stuff which is uh full one of the things that uh definitely imprinted on me very early is a lot of the warhammer fiction and setup it's very vast worlds that has lots of very specific rules and lots of very specific lore but the lore and the world building is also full of all these little question marks like what's happening over here we don't know and the idea being that the players and the the gamers right go in and fill in those gaps in their own games and their own stories with their own ideas but the idea that you have this world full of questions that some get answered but a lot of them just don't a lot of them are left as mysteries for you to hook you and, and draw you into the world and let you make your own space in it. I think it's really, really fascinating and is why you can continue to talk about a work 23 years later and still have questions and still have ideas. It opens up the space for fan fiction and AUs and all that kind of stuff and, and theorizing that's really, really interesting and, and engaging. Um, mm. And I think the other thing, too, is that it is very much, whereas when I had not watched it, I was like, this is just another Dragon Ball thing. It's just going to be another round of weirdos punching each other. And then it's the next weirdo from next month. And we fight him for 100 chapters. And then it's the next weirdo. And it's just the same, you know, it's just this content mill, right? Like, obviously, there's no way it's really that long. And there's that kind of story to tell. Well, actually, (laughs) One Piece is truly a work where Oda Oda had this story to tell. And he started small and has grown out from it. And he clearly had... a pretty strong vision for it very early on which is really impressive too it's not just the next weirdo they have to fight like it's the then the, this this setting and all the rules for it and the politics and all that stuff is so so fascinating it's very much i, I mean I'm, I'm almost positive oda has said so or, or someone an editor has said so that it was very much supposed to be a reaction to dragon ball not necessarily in a negative sense because part of what toriyama did that was so brilliant was that you know Toriyama, in addition to all of his various excellent qualities, like his his amazing character design work, his amazing ability to pace a fight and and frame a scene. I mean, he's just Toriyama's just he makes it look so effortless. He makes it look so simple. I don't know how he does it, but he really boiled the shonen fighting uh, shtick down to its essence. It's one weirdo versus a different looking weirdo punching each other in a wasteland. And you can just keep doing that, right? It's like it, you can just you have this wrestling match every week. In this corner, it's this. In this corner, it's this. Ding, ding, ding. You fight. He really boiled it down to its 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 core essence, and it still works. Like I still enjoy Dragon Ball. Like that's what's brilliant about it, right? But there's not a right. lot of super complex world building or deep politics. And like One Piece is clearly something else entirely. It's not trying to just repeat the cool fight between two weirdos formula. You do need to know what's going on. You can't just jump it like, you know, when I, I started watching Dragon Ball Z. I'd never seen a lick of Dragon Ball, but I got it. Like, oh, these weirdos are fighting each other. That's cool. Like, but, like, you can't jump in 
300 chapters into one piece like I, you should not skip no, you'd, any of it you'd you be no so clue. lost you have no clue what's going yeah. on it'd be like if i showed a random friend of mine one piece stampede they'd be like who's this character yeah. what's going on who are they referring to right you would be totally you had you don't it, no one repeats the rules or anything like it's like you have to keep all this stuff you gotta keep it all in your head and you gotta really pay attention and like and follow along because you know, there's not a whole lot of recaps, really. Um, no. And there's a lot to miss. So, you know, and I'm sure some people have jumped in at random places and been just fine. But you are really, truly rewarded for starting at chapter one and reading every chapter after it in order. <laughs> As opposed yeah. to, again, Dragon Ball, I could probably go watch whatever's happening on Super right now and pretty much get it. <laughs> Which is, again, part of, part of its brilliance. But its weaknesses, there's not a whole lot of politics and world building there. You don't have to know much. And for and for our listeners, I would say if you want to get into One Piece, do what do to kind of similar to what not well, do what I did and find a co-pilot, find a community, mm-hmm. find someone to enjoy the work and go at your own pace. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you have like a co-pilot, like I I was in school and watched it with my friend, and we watch episode after episode after episode because mm-hmm. in college you have a, you have a million uh, hours of free time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that's what kept us. That's what kept me engaged. Is just he and I just reacting to the show and getting hyped for. Oh my God! How's How's Luffy gonna fight Crocodile? What's his plan? <laughs> oh my God! Or uh, or us or us just bawling our eyes out at. Uh, in the final goodbye to the going mm, Mary. Oh, Lord. Lord, Lord. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, like, like I say, uh, find a co-pilot and go at your own pace. Mm-hmm. And that's, that I think is the best way to approach one piece. Yeah. And definitely. Yeah. Find, find a co-pilot, find that community and hook in because like it took me two and a half years to get up you know, I, I set a pretty slow pace because I wanted to talk about it a certain way, and that took time. It takes more time to talk about it that way, but being connected to the community, you know, I, I'd do it all over again if I could. Like, it definitely, it was an incredible journey hitting these certain landmarks. Not only the excitement and energy of other people going, oh, you made it to, oh, you're about to see, you know, all that excitement. But also the joy of like noticing something that someone else is like, ah, I've been a fan of this for 15 years. I never thought of that before. You know, like that kind of back and forth with new and old, I think is really, really critical to keeping a community alive and to maintaining your enjoyment of the work. Like I know some people have used the Shonen Jump app and hit that 100 character a day limit and just just powered through the series in like a week or two. I mean, you can do that. I'm not going to tell you you can't, but. I think you're missing out by, you know, you're, you're not even tasting it at that point. You're just shoveling it in, you know? So, right. It just becomes like candy yeah. where you're just gobbling it up and gobbling. And then yeah. you're not really understanding the, the context of the work. Yeah. Or you're, you're limiting your, your, your ability to, because you're going through it so fast.
I want to know how you got uh, the, the, the gig at Anime News Network to do the episode recaps. Because uh, for a while, um, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, uh, Sam Leach. Yes, does, Sam was doing uh, it. Mm-hmm. Who, Sam was doing it, and he uh, does the anime recap on the One Piece podcast. Um, and then uh, for a while, there was a break. And then uh, you came into the picture, and I was wondering just how that came to be. Uh, well, uh, so uh, the opening was there, right? Sam was was uh, no longer able to do it, I think, due to some real-life obligations and stuff he had going on. Uh, so there was an opening. Nobody was doing it. Nobody else, I guess, had either jumped at it or wanted to. Again, One Piece is both everywhere, but also way too long for a lot of people to start. So um, I actually got tapped by uh, Zach Birchie. This was a couple of months ago. Uh, he kind of reached mm-hmm. out to me and said, hey... There's an opening. We're not sure if you're interested, but this would be really cool. And you know, the team feels like you're the guy. Uh, and so, you know, we. I was like, yeah, definitely. That sounds great. There was a little bit of a uh, kind of a low lying period there where, you know, this this pandemic thing broke out and it kind of dominated everything. And that kind of got put on the. You know, I didn't want to press and be like, hey, where's my uh, my column gig? You know, you don't. I don't want to be ungrateful. <laughs> right. Um, but also the, with the sad news of his passing, that kind of was just mm-hmm. like laying there for a while. Um, but, uh, uh, Lindsay took over as editor in chief and, uh, I already had a a good relationship with her and eventually I was kind of like, Hey, I don't, you know, like I was like, I don't really know what to say cause we talked about this, but you know, I, I didn't, I, you know, timing wise, I didn't, it would be really weird, but I also know that like no one's writing it and I'm just saying, Hey, if that's still in the cards, I'll be glad to still do it. And she was like, no, yeah, of course. I mean, she was like, I was the one that, she's the one that suggested me to Zach to do it because we were close and she knows that I'm talking about One Piece all the time on Twitter. So it turns out talking about One Piece all the time on Twitter can eventually land you a gig writing about One Piece. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but it was mainly, just like with everything else, I ran my mouth about it and other people believed in me and gave me a shot. So that was really uh, kind of the the extent of it. Um, Like, I don't have necessarily any particular insights uh, but I, I, I really enjoy talking about it and I'm very, very blessed and glad to, uh, have the gig at A&N writing about it because the anime is a different experience. It's fun to go back a little bit in time. I've, I've only watched one of the movies in a, f- just a few episodes here and there, other than the, the stuff I've been reviewing for the show, for the, for the column. Um, part of my long-term hope is to maybe start an anime thread or, or, or talk, you know, watch the anime or something at some point in, in full, um, but I'm also going to be subjecting my co-hosts to some more One Piece movies and stuff, so we'll you know we'll get there. But uh, basically, Oops. it was just it was just uh, talking about One Piece on Twitter and people liking me talking about One Piece on Twitter and wanting me to keep doing it, which is uh, really humbling and special and uh, a big blessing. And I guess uh, I can't let you go without asking about your deep affection for. Our favorite historian, Nika Robin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Number one I, best character, yes. <laughs> I, I would just, uh, why is Nika Robin uh, one of your favorite characters? Uh, yeah, that's a toughie. It's always tough with straw hats to pick. They're all my babies. Don't don't make me choose one of my children. Uh, mm-hmm. But Nika Robin is a, a, a really interesting character to me. Um, I mean, she's a she's there's a lot going on there right she's a world traveling assassin 
she's got this unique access and like linguistic background and like undercovering secret knowledge like so she's got this kind of like indiana jones type pulp adventurer angle and she's you know learned and bookish but a bit reserved and um also has just all these great look you know her with the cowboy hat and all that stuff just really uh, mm-hmm. as soon as she's in the scene she you know she's 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 easy to to pick out from style wise and stuff like that so she's got all these interesting character elements but it was really water seven slash any's lobby which is you know uh for me one of the best one of the best arcs in the series absolutely for me it's my favorite arc in the series um i mean it's hard to pick favorite because everything before it built up to it so it, it couldn't exist without those things and all that um but it's definitely my favorite and uh my buddy uh, Pat Pat's Prime uh, on Twitter often says that it is peak shonen fighting. Uh, like this, if you want the, the you know the brass ring, if you want the gold standard for shonen fighting arc that means something, it's Water Seven slash Annie's Lobby. Like that's it. That you know, and I, I, I it's hard to argue with him. Uh, you know, it's like if that's not your favorite, like what's better than Annie's Lobby? That's a tough call, right? Um, and I think a lot of people would probably say paramount slash marine Ford is really really good too which i agree with um but and there's a similar connection there too because of robin's particular struggle with not having a sense of self-worth and mm-hmm. therefore not having like a having a very callous or cold feeling about her own mortality and her use to other people only as like a tool uh not really even as a person like that's really like that hits like that cuts real deep and ace's story in, in marineford is very similar right this this not having a sense of self-worth only finding it externally and what how how you can be used by others and serve others not really having an internal sense of self-worth um so luffy instilling that at any's lobby and helping her you know that the, the famous i want to live like finding the will i'm getting a little choked up talking about it but like finding the will to live in spite of it all finding the will to live even when you're really at your lowest point and literally the entire world is against you but finding that was really really powerful um and on top of that you know that all, everything in that scene with you know soga king take down the flag and the, the declaration of war against the world government all that stuff is just tremendous but that i really really resonate with that story with that sense of like you know you're always running to help somebody else or do something for other people just so that you're like, oh, I hope they like me. I hope I hope I can find some worth in someone else, right? Like, it, but in, you need mm-hmm. to have that internal sense of self worth, and you need to have that 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 needs to be it needs to come from within. Is really really powerful message and really really resonates strong. Um, so like in that sense, like that I love that character arc and I love that about her. Um, and then on top of that, like with the rest of the Straw Hats, she's just such a complex and interesting character that. And I think you can see it every time. The, every time a new chapter comes out, we get like a color splash, or we get a cover story, and it's just like the Straw Hats, just like hanging out and playing cards, or maybe they're laying on their backs looking at the sky, and like the way Oda expresses their character through their body language, through what they're eating and drinking, through their clothing, like all that stuff, is unique and well thought out and like really put together and they feel like very complex and rich characters because of it like you know frankie just likes soda like that's just you know just like some people in real world they just like soda right or that kind of stuff you know or, or that robin you know she drinks coffee and she likes to read quietly and you can see that you just get cover stories where it's like just her sitting and reading 
you know, and maybe there's like animals or something nearby or something, or like the ones where like, okay, she's leading all the little baby ducks and it's really sweet. Like there's just so much there. These characters are so rich. It's very easy to get hooked in and get like really engrossed in a character. Um, but I think her kind of her whole emotional arc. And I think some of that is lessened because the, you know, we're in the post time skip era. We're doing a lot of the, we're uncovering a lot of legends and we, you know, the, uh, the a common complaint and I don't disagree with it is that, you know, the main cast doesn't necessarily get the screen time that it used to other than say your, you know, your monster trio. Um, a lot of them get sidelined, which is a shame. And I agree, but there's also just the scope of the work and what Oda's built. It's, it's very big and he's only got so many pages per week. Um, but the richness of that character is still there. You still see, you know, style evolutions or you see the fact that she, she dresses, she doesn't dress in the sort of like, goth aunt style anymore right she dresses like she's going going out for a day to the beach you know she's she's wearing floral patterns and because she's happier now she's like a happier person and like that kind of just little character growth stuff like that is i find that just so fascinating and so uh, so engaging so that's why she is one of my favorite characters along with you know uh, it's always a what it's it's her zoro usopp chopper and frankie like that's my my five-way tie for first like i can't decide <laughs> Because in different ways, uh, each of them has either aspects of me or things that I think are just really resonate and are really interesting. And so, but I love I love all those characters truthfully. And I think what makes those characters and just the Strahd dynamic work is no one tries to change one another. They mm. just grow to accept who they are mm. and Absolutely. and learn and learn to help each other. Like. Robin in the anime can have a very kind of dark gothic sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, Chopper and Usopp are like, no, don't say that. <laughs> but, but they, but they, but they, but they, but they roll with it or they'll give comfort to each other. Like I remember this might've been an anime specific thing, but Brooke was feeling down and not feeling like he's, he was self-worth to the group. Like he didn't contribute. And Robin came to him and said, I felt that way too, but you'll find, you'll find your way mm. just like I did. And yeah. that, for me, that was a very small moment. It's a very small moment, but a very powerful statement mm. of just why this group stays together because they encourage each other. They help each other. They create a family unit and why I think uh, just, you probably feel this way too. Why, why we love the Strat. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's that found, that found family, the Nakama, the whole, finding each other like you say they're not really challenging each other to change but they do challenge each other to grow and that's really really mm -hmm. powerful and important and just the all their relationships it's just so it's so enriching and rewarding and like you say it's really small moments but they just speak volumes and you live for those like i would absolutely just read a series that was just them goofing off and day-to-day -day life on the ship i would do it I would read a thousand more chapters of that because it's those, that's just who those characters are. And they're all, it's all there. Like, Oda's put it all there. It's really, really great. Hmm. Well, uh, Grant, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Do you have anything that you would like to plug? Sure. If you want to hear me ramble too much in other places, uh, I'm at Grant the Thief on Twitter. You can find me there posting all sorts of dad jokes and nonsense uh you can read uh my review columns on a and uh i'm doing the one piece uh anime review columns i'm also reviewing monster girl doctor uh we all have to take one, <laughs> we all have to take one for the team 
Uh, although it's, again, that's a little more conflicting. It's not all bad. I don't want to just rag on it. Um, and I do some other uh, spot review stuff for them sometimes too, and that'll hopefully be coming out soon. Um, you can also find my writings at yadatachi.com, which is a Japanese uh, culture website. I do some uh, editorials and reviews and stuff there uh, on occasion. Um, and uh, you can find me uh, on my two podcasts, because I'm not quite busy enough, uh, Blade Licking Thieves, which is me and my two buddies uh, reviewing films together. Uh, you know, Eastern media particularly, we're having, having a good time doing those breakdowns. Uh, and also a Super Senpai podcast where me and another buddy, uh, Pat, we uh, watch tokusatsu shows and we talk about them. Right now we're watching Ultraman Mabius and having a really, really good time. Uh, so that's all, all the various places and things that you can find me, which is a, a good clutch. Any of those you want to check out, be my guest or not, you know, whatever. It's, it, it's, it's your life. Do what you want with it. Well, <laughs> I say follow Grant on Twitter for me for the puns i retweet the puns <laughs> i love the puns i i do pun alerts it's it's very important we need the puns keep going <laughs> right yeah the puns that's um i, I didn't I, once again i didn't invent them but i think people have have uh, grown accustomed to my love for them so the groans i love to hear them every time <laughs> uh uh and you can find me also on twitter at wb foreman 999 uh, where i will usually be retweeting about one piece or Lupin the third i also do writing on our website thirdimpactanimate.com and hopefully some other places in the near future so grant thank you so much for being on the podcast this is this was a fantastic conversation yeah thanks for having me on let me just run my mouth the whole time i really appreciate it i had, I had a lot of fun talking with you <laughs> Uh, and we'll catch you on the next episode.